God is good. Yeah. Well, we'll just uh, take a little time to do this. We're doing things a little different today. How many like change? Change is good, right? Today's going to be kind of like a history lesson in what I share today. Uh, I believe God wants to inspire us today. And uh, I believe he wants to um, do something in our hearts as I share the word today. And so I just want everybody, if you would, just close your eyes and put your hand on your heart. And we're just going to ask the Lord to inspire us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your presence today. And God, as we get into your word, as we begin to uh, hear the declaring of your word, Father, would you inspire us today? Father, would you do something in our hearts Lord, would you remove anything that hinders us when it comes to your word and valuing your word? And I just pray, oh God, today that you would just bring a shift in our thinking, a shift in our valuation, a shift in our value of the word of God. And so, Lord, we thank you for it and we just ask for your help today. Holy Spirit, would you just right now, God, would your presence and your anointing be on the words that I speak? that it might glorify your name, and that your name might be exalted over all the earth. We love you, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit that's going to lead each person here today in a different way that brings change through the Word. And Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, today um, we're going to uh, start with a scripture and I'm going to have all of us just stand up as we read the Word today in honor of the Word. And so, Jeff, if you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and put that on. Psalms 119, we're going to put that up, and we're going to, if we don't mind, we're going to all read it together. And you can kind of go with me. I'll, I'll read slow. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise from my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. You may be seated. This is a song, Your Word is a Lamp to My Feet and a Light to My Path. And each there, I've, I highlighted the word, the law, the word, the law, the precepts, the statute. But his word is a lamp. And I'm going to, what I'm going to do as an object lesson as we get started, I've brought a lamp in here today, to, uh, and we're going to shut off all the lights. And Alger's going to shut these can lights off up here. And, I, and I'm just going to first start off with this object lesson. If you guys don't mind, you guys like object lessons, don't you?
Go ahead and shut those ones there too. I wished we could cover those windows. Now up here from the platform, you guys cannot see this, but I cannot tell where that step is. My eyes have not adjusted. And uh, when the Bible's talking about the word is a lamp to my feet, it illuminates where I step. It shows me the path so that I can see without falling. His word is a lamp. It lights my path where I am to step. Now, if I was to do this, how many know in a dark room it's hard to know where to step? And we are in a culture right now where we are in a culture of darkness. In our culture in America, the word of God is no longer a lamp for people's feet. It's no longer a light for their path. And as we're walking in darkness and we don't know the way in which we should go, and the Word of God shows us in the way we should go. Can I have an amen on that? And so the Word is to be the lamp that guides me. It is to be the lamp that shows me and directs my path. And so if we do not know the Word of God, if we don't know the Word of God, we don't know how our life should line up. So when the Word of God says... To, 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 when, in, when, it, when in the word, of course, we start with the Ten Commandments, thou shall not kill, and thou shall not steal, thou shall not commit adultery, those things are the law of the Lord, and it gives us direction, it has for our nation for many years. If I don't know what the word of God says, that when my enemy is against me, and the enemy is coming against me, and it says to love those who despitefully use you, to bless them, and to pray for your enemies... My flesh doesn't want to pray for my enemies, does it? My flesh does not want to pray for those who hurt me. Is that not true? But the word of God says, and it gives me the light to say, Eric, love your enemies. When the Bible says things like, do not gossip and talk about others, my flesh wants to talk and gossip about others, does it not? But the word of God gives me a lamp and how I am as a Christian to walk. It lets me see how I'm to walk. Because we're in a world that has no light. And you and I are walking in darkness if we're not allowing the word of God to become a lamp to our feet. And a light to our path. The word of God is a lamp. Everybody say that. To my feet. A light to my path so I know how to walk. Amen. We'll keep it in darkness for just a little bit. Several weeks ago, I preached a message and I asked for those who have been in the Word for at least 15 minutes every day and very few people stood up. Do you guys remember that message? And I thought, and I was talking about how we're in a season where God's trying to correct us as a church. God's trying to bring maturity to us as people. I like preaching in the dark. This is pretty cool. <laughs> I know if you guys are texting. 
I got you teenagers now right where I want you. <laughs> Can't play that video game in church. No, you wouldn't do that, would you? Rabbit trail, rabbit trail. Boy, this is easy to preach, but I can't see your face. But several weeks ago when I preached the message, and I left after preaching that message, and I was talking about how are we correctable, are we teachable, and how God uses... There's this way God uses to bring correction. He brings correction through the word of God. He brings correction through the authority of of people in authority in our lives. He brings correction to us through others and people in our lives. And then he also brings correction through divine discipline and through the circumstances of our life when things aren't going well. He uses the bad circumstances to teach us and to correct us. But I asked that question, how many have been in the word? And very few people had been in the word. And I, and I left that day overwhelmed. I, I, I was grieving in my heart. I felt, and several of you sent many great messages encouraging me that that was a tough message, Eric. It was painful, but it was good. And we needed it. Keep going. Keep, keep preaching the word of God. And though, though many people don't want to hear it, Eric, keep going. We're going somewhere. We need to hear it. But I was very grieved in my spirit. And I went home, and there were tears in my heart, and I was struggling so bad. Feelings of wanting to give up, feelings of God. Can, will the people of God hear your voice? Will they realize how, how important the scriptures are? Why do we not value God the scripture? Why do we not value your word? Why, why God? This isn't fun, God. God, it's a lamp to my feet, it's a light to my path. But many would like to stay in darkness. So I went on a quest in the Word of God and studying, and today you're going to hear a message And you're really going to hear a history lesson. Because I felt like the Lord said, Eric, inspire the people. Inspire the people of the preciousness of my word. Inspire the people of what the word of God and how it has come to people. Because what we have done is we have taken the word of God for granted. We have treated it lightly. Does anybody say yes and amen? We could have the house lights. And so I thought today I would be going into the four areas of how God wants to bring correction into our life. And I talked about how, yeah, that's bright. That's what the light's supposed to do. That's what the word's supposed to do. It's supposed to be bright. Amen. We could go ahead and turn the PowerPoint back on as well. Thanks, guys, for shutting the lights off. Your word is a lamp to my feet. And the psalmist wrote, and he said, and a light to my path. And then he says, I have taken an oath. I've made a contract, (laughs) and I've confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. 
I have suffered much, but preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise from my mouth and teach me your laws, though I constantly take my life in my hands. Do we not do that? I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. They are the joy of my heart. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. And then Jesus says in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we're, we're wanting to walk in Jesus, amen? He is the light of the world. And he takes and he dispels the darkness. And you know what darkness is? Darkness is just the absence of light. And when we try to walk this Christian walk with, with the absence of the light of Christ, we, we walk in darkness. Amen? And so here's where I went a few weeks ago. I talked about DEFCON 1, DEFCON 2, DEFCON 3, DEFCON 4, and how God, the stages of God's correction, and how God uses the Word of God, which is the pressure of God through Scripture, to correct us, to change us, to convict us, to move us towards His light. He uses DEFCON 2 authority. He uses people like me who confront you with maybe the way you're living or authority in your life. And the pressure of God through authority, he uses that to correct us. And many of us resist that. Many of us resist the word of God correcting us. Many of us resist people like me and others in authority, bosses. The Bible even says that all authority is God-breathed. It's been put there by God for a reason. And we're tested with imperfect authority. I talked a little bit about DEFCON 3, how God uses the counsel of others. It's the pressure of God through others where I can remember when Karen and I were raising the kids and when they were really, really little, I had family members come up to me and they would say things about how our kids were acting. Anybody else had family do that? And it would make me so mad. It would make me mad because they didn't see the context of the whole situation. They only saw a real small piece of the puzzle, but yet God was using them to correct Karen and I in how we were parenting, making us better parents. Can I have an amen on that? Anybody need help in being better parents? But boy, you start trying to help other people in the way they raise their kids, it's like you have no right, right? But at any rate, that's a whole other topic. We won't get into that. And then DEFCON 4 is really where I think most people live in a state of, is most people live in DEFCON 4 all their life. Because they don't allow the word of God, because there is a progression in God. God allows his word to correct us, but if we do not allow the word of God to be taken in daily on our, in our lives, he then moves to DEFCON 2, he moves to DEFCON 3, and I believe he moves to DEFCON 4, where he uses the pressure comes from God in the circumstances of our life, in our finances, we can't pay our bills. Well, the, not being able to pay the bills, God is trying, he's not put it there, you not being able to pay your bills is not him doing it, but he allows that circumstance to put pressure on you to bring change. You know, when you're sick all the time or, or things are going crazy in home or there's chaos like crazy, it's not that God's creating the chaos. Can I have an amen on that? 
The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But God, he uses that circumstance to then begin to correct your heart. He begins to use that circumstance to say, hey, wake up, bonehead. Some of us, we, some of us two befores across the head are needed. But really, the gentleness of the scripture is really the best scenario. Can I have an amen? I want to be led by the word of God and allow the word of God to correct my heart and my thinking, to renew my mind. But many people live in DEFCON 4 all the time and your lives are miserable. And if you will listen to what I'm saying today and move up the, 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 the DEFCON 3, 2, 1 and get to where we're talking about the word of God today, I'm I'm gonna, I believe God's going to inspire you today concerning the word. And it's going to become a delight for you. It's going to become, wow, I want that. Because there's some things the Lord's done in my heart this week that I really believe that uh, he's going to help us. Just to prove DEFCON 4 is true, do you guys believe that divine discipline comes through the circumstances of our life? Because Hebrews 12, 7 says this, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. This is part of the growing up. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Who wants to share in the holiness of God? Our God is holy. Say that. Our God is holy. And hardships, trials, God uses that to speak to us and to bring discipline. So as I shared the last time, as I was preaching, I felt this thing where people in general, even in my, and, and when, I pre, when I'm preaching today, when I'm sharing this, even in my own life, I have taken the word of God for granted. This thing that I hold in my hand is the very word of the living God. And it has been passed down through the ages. And I'm going to talk about that today. This thing that sits on our shelves, this thing that sits on our nightstands, this thing that is now digital and on my iPad, this thing is holy. They call it the Holy Bible. And we, the people of God, now have it at our disposal. But for thousands of years, people like you and I did not have it. It was not accessible as it is today. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. And our human nature, my human nature is always to take things for granted. I take my wife for granted at times. Anybody else? Because she's become so common, she's with me all the time, and I don't value her to the degree that I need to value her. When we went to Honduras several years ago, and we had all of a sudden, I valued toilet paper. Really? A toilet. A toilet with running water. Something to sit on. You know what I'm saying? To get comfortable? I mean, come on. You take for granted your toilet. You take for granted to turn on that water spigot and to get clean water. Tabitha, she just came back from Mexico. How valued is water? 
It's really valued. Water is valued. When I was in Honduras, not knowing if the water I was going to drink would make me sick or not, they filtered it, but it still came out of the river. Africa, right now, I mean, they're having to dig wells over there to try to get the people clean water so that they're not sick. We take for granted the things that we have. Turning on the light switch this morning. If you did not have that light switch, guess what would happen right now? You guys would be very hot because the air conditioning is making this room very comfortable. Actually, some of you are freezing. <laughs> but without electricity, how about air conditioning? Do you take air conditioning for granted? Thank God for air conditioning. Have you ever said, what did they do when they settled the West? I'd have been laying in a creek. Most of you are so soft, you wouldn't have handled it. We couldn't have handled it. Because we've taken for granted, have we not? I talked with Joe. I asked him, I said, what is it that you take for granted, for granted at college? Oh, you and mom. Relationships. I said, what else did you take for granted? He said, I love my bed. He said, that thin cot at college is just, he said, I love the bed you and mom got me. How about being able to leave this place and be able to go to the grocery store and to buy whatever food you want to buy? That's not in other nations. There's some people right now praying for their daily bread. But all the while, we take it for granted. So see, what I'm saying is we, we, this is our human nature. You have to go against your human nature to start valuing your relationships. See, I become common to you. And it's just Eric preaching the word of God instead of it being God speaking through a vessel, an imperfect vessel. So we take what Eric says lightly because I become common. And so it doesn't carry the weight that it should because I've become common. We take each other for granted. And so this is our nature. And so what we've done is we've done that with the Word of God. Whoops. We've done that with the Word of God, and we've made it common. We've made it. We don't realize how special it is. We don't realize what, God, what links God took in order to preserve it for you. We don't realize that years ago, it was only written in Latin. And for a thousand years, it was only in Latin. And the Roman Catholic Church forbid, forbid that it be translated in any other language. And then now I'm going to show you. I'm going to take you through. Here's God. I'm just saying, God, inspire our hearts. Because I'm going to take you through a history lesson right now. And I believe God's going to use it to inspire us on how holy, everybody say holy, holy. how holy this is. And how we have got to repent and ask him to, to forgive us of how lightly we have taken his very word. How lightly we've taken him. And so I'm going to take you guys ready for a little history lesson. We're going to go through this pretty quick. But I did the preaching first because I didn't want to run out of time. Because when you run out of time, it is no fun. And this is my last opportunity for a couple weeks. Because I'm going on vacation with my family. 
the history, oops, the history of the Bible. You ready for this? Now, one disclaimer I want to say first before you start reading this is these dates are approximate, okay? And um, there is, because of archaeology, you have that word too? And so these dates are real close. Some of them are exact, but some of these are, like for example, this first one, the 1400 B.C., is the first written word of God, which is the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, okay? And so God literally gave to Moses on stone tablets the Ten Commandments. Everybody knows about that, right? And from 1400 B.C., roughly, some say it's 1454, give me 5, 55, 56, 56, 56, give me 35, 35, 40. You know, it's, you know, when you're talking, and we're going to get into a little bit of why it's, it's the, when they recorded history, it was in ages, okay? Because they don't do it like we do it now. But at any rate, in 1400 B.C., the first written word of God in the Ten Commandments to Moses. And Moses, he... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Moses wrote those four books. And then Genesis was written by God, the very first part. Moses, Adam, all the, they're all eyewitness accounts of what took place, okay? But in, anyway, in 1400 B.C., we know, and, and when, I, when, when Moses was up on, mount, on the mountain, and he spent 40 days with God by himself tw on two occasions— God was speaking the word, and Moses then put the word of God on clay tablets, and that's how the word of God was brought down to us, to what we have today, okay? But this is the breakdown of how the word of God came about. In 500 B.C., that there was the completion of all original Hebrew manuscripts were, which were made of the 39 books of the Old Testament by 500 B.C., so what we, what we have is what was given through Moses and, and the men and women who are the eyewitnesses' accounts, these things have been passed down. And, and I want you to think about this. How were they passed down? Huh? By word of mouth, but they were, they were passed down through scribes. There were scribes that all they did was write on papyrus, animal skins, and, and scrolls, and they carried these events from generation to generation to generation. And so we have handwriting. We're handwriting the word of the living God down. And so I know this teenager's history is kind of boring sometimes, I realize, but if you'll get a hold of this, it's really good, okay, because you need it. It's powerful. So in 500 B.C., we have all of the books of the Old Testament that are now on papyrus, they're on clay, they're on some form of, of writing by 500 B.C. By 200 B.C., we have the completion of the Septuagint, the Greek manuscripts, which contain the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 14 Apocrypha books. Now, the Apocrypha books are what were in the Catholic Bible, and they have not been carried into the Protestant Bible, they don't, they don't consider them canonized. But they, all those books were in and written down by 200 B.C. And then in the first century A.D., when we have the, the New Testament coming to pass, we have the completion of all the original Greek manuscripts, which make up the 27 books of the New Testament. 
Then in 315 A.D., Athenius, the bishop of Alexandria, identifies the 27 books of the New Testament, which are today recognized as the canon of Scripture. And you can just see this progression as we go and through time. But all this time, these things that are being written down in the Old Testament, they are being passed down. And these scribes, year after year, are making more and more manuscripts of the Bible, okay, by handwriting. And then we get into 382 A.D., and Jerome's Latin Vulgate manuscripts, which is where the Catholic Bible came from, produced, which contains all 80 books, the 39 Old Testament, the 14 Apocrypha books, and the 27 New Testament. Most people have no clue. It's funny, when Joel went to college, he had to study through one of the Catholic Bibles, and he, he called me one day and said, Dad, did you know there's other books in the Bible? And I said, well, I, yes, I do, son. He goes, what is that? And I said, well, those are books that they found. Those are transcripts of books that they found. And I said, those are listed in the books of the history of the Jewish nation. And I said, so, and, and, and most scholars have taken them out of the canonization, which is the, what they classify as the word of God. And they're, they're good, good wisdom, they're good teachings, but they haven't put them in the canonization of the Bible and what we have today. So that's a long story, making it quick, quicker. And so anyway, those have been passed down. And now after 500 AD, 500 years after the birth of Christ, the scriptures have been translated in over 500 languages. In 600 AD, Latin was the only language allowed for scripture by the Catholic Church. And so from 600, then we go to the Anglo-Saxon, the early roots of our English language, what we speak. That's when they started trying to, they, they started transposing it into the English language in 995 AD. And so then we're going to go a little further. And then in 1384, Wycliffe is the first. And if any of you guys have any Bible uh, books, you always see Wycliffe. He's always referenced. Wycliffe is always referenced when you're studying the Bible. Wycliffe is the first person to produce a handwritten manuscript copy of the complete Bible. All 66 books and even the 14 Apocrypha books. So Wycliffe is the first one who put it all down in writing by hand. And it was done in 1384. That's amazing to me. Now, how long do you think that would take to do in writing? I mean, really think about this. Years it would take to do this. Because you're, trans, trans, you're, you're looking Aramaic, you're talking about Hebrew, you're talking about all these different languages that the Bible was written in in ancient times, and he's now interpreting them through that and writing them out in hand. I'm telling you, that's an amazing feat. And here's then what happened. In, whoops, 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 whoops. Everybody say whoops. Then 1455 comes, and we have the inventing of the printing press. And in the first Bible ever printed is printed in Latin in 1455. That's a long time ago, folks. 1516, they then transfer what is written down on the printing press and they now start to do the parallel Bible in 1516. Then Martin Luther in 1522, Martin Luther, he translates 
the Latin into uh, German. And buddy, is he harassed. Matter of fact, the Roman church comes out at this time and they forbid the printing of the Bible in anything that is but Latin. Actually, at this time, they actually threaten to burn you at the stake. If you try to take the Bible and interpret it in any other language besides Latin. Many men lost their lives transferring the word of God into your language. Men lost their lives in order to get the word of God in your hands. Matter of fact, the guy that studied under um, Wycliffe Wycliffe passed away, and he kept printing manuscripts of the Bible, and they literally burned him at the stake. And you know what they used as kindling? Wycliffe's translation of the Bible. They tore the pages that he had handwritten, and they started the fire with the Bible. Matter of fact, the Bible is so dishonored in our nation in jail, they use the Bible because it's so thin to roll cigarettes, and they smoke it in prison. The Bible is not honored in our land. Martin Luther, we know about him a little bit in history. He's the one that, that nailed the 99 Thesis on the Catholic Church door because they were, they were taking some of the word, and it was... And he found out through the translation as he began to read the word and began to, that they were not obeying the word of God. And that there were some issues in the church of paying for indulgences where they would pay the church to forgive them for their indulgences. So I would pay, Michelle would come and pay me money to forgive her of her sin. And Martin Luther said this should not be. And a reformation began to happen in the house of God. Praise the Lord. Can I have an amen on that? Another history lesson. But at any rate, and then in 1526, William Tyndale's New Testament, the first New Testament printed in the English language. The first printed in the English language, 1526. Guys, that's not that long ago. I mean, we're in 2000. That's 500 years ago. A little less than 500 years ago. Okay. That's Tyndale. Then the Coverdale Bible came out, the first complete Bible printed in the English language. And, and so one's English, and then we're going to keep, and the, and the King James came finally in 1611. And originally it was in all 80 books. The Apocrypha officially was removed in 1855, leaving only 66 books in the Bible. Interesting. I'm going quick now. The history of the Bible. 1885, the English Revised Version came out. This is the first major English revision of the King James Version. Then in 1901, the American Standard Version. And now we have how many versions of the Bible? Man, you can get them in, I mean, man, Living Bible, American Trans, you know, NIV. NIV wasn't until 1973. The 1982, everybody like that, huh? How many use the NIV? You must use the NIV. Okay, it wasn't until 1982 that the new King James Version came out. 
And what is it? This is men's attempt to make the word of God more understandable for you and I so that it can be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I hope I'm not boring you with history. Now, here are two of the major discoveries. Now, we're talking about the word, and what we're going to get in, this is where I really had fun in my study. In 1890, archaeologists found 10,000 biblical manuscripts in an old synagogue in Cairo, Egypt. 1890. But in 1947, that's probably the biggest one. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the Quamram Caves. And in the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's a picture of it right there. That cave right there had most of what I'm getting ready to show you. And here's how this cave was, now this isn't the first cave, that was. this is cave number four. This cave was not found first. The first cave, guess how it was found? A little boy lost his goat. And he was looking for his goat. And he went in this cave to find his goat. And he found clay jars. He takes the clay jar and he opens it and it has a scroll in it. We're talking 1947, guys. And so all these archaeologists catch wind of it and they start looking in the Dead Sea. Now the Dead Sea, if, if this is Israel and the Mediterranean's over here, the Dead Sea's over here. And on the, on the north, southeast, northwest corner, <laughs> get my bearing, on the northwest corner of the, Dead sea, of the Dead Sea, which is the Judean Desert, this is part of the Judean Desert right there, these caves are all within a few kilometers of each other. And this is what the inside of this cave, 95% of the Dead Sea Scrolls that contain the Bible came from that cave. 95% of them. And this is what the inside of the cave looked like. This was, they said it's hand dug out in the side of a mountain. Isn't that pretty cool? Now what was found? That's what the Dead Sea Scrolls looked like. The longest one is 24 feet long. There was actually one found in this cave that was of copper. And they had in, hand indented in Hebrew as they transcribed the Bible from generation to generation to generation to generation. As they kept writing it by hand and passing it out to, to the teachers of the law, they would make more copies and pass it out so that the word of God could be taught to the commoner. Are you guys getting this? How, how, how sh the shortage of the word of God would have been when you have to write it by hand. And they wrote it by hand, the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's just one of them. Isn't that cool? This is what was found in 11 Quamram Caves. 39 copies of the Psalms. 33 copies of Deuteronomy. One copy of Enoch, which is an Apocrypha book. 24 copies of Genesis, 22 copies of Isaiah, 21 copies of Jubilees, which is an apocryphal book, 18 copies of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the Minor Prophets, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Job, 1st and 2nd Samuel, look at it guys, copies were put there so that it would be saved. Why? Because there was war in the land. The first and the second temple had been destroyed. They had to secure the word of God so that it would be passed down to generations. And they hid them. Because they wanted the word of God to be preserved for you and I. 
They wanted the people to know the heritage of God, Jehovah. The Dead Sea Scrolls contain parts of all the books in the Old Testament except the book of Esther. And they believe that the reason Esther was not in there is they probably believed that the Quorum people didn't believe that a woman should be in leadership. That's their guess because of their traditions. But they preserved all the books of the Bible in some form. Does that excite anybody? I hope it does. It really jacks me up. Those manuscripts that they found in the Dead Sea have been dated to various ranges from 408 B.C. to 50 B.C. The radiocarbon dating, which they realize is not quite accurate, but they said around 33 B.C., plus or minus 200 years. The handwriting experts, as they diagnose and they look at it, they say anywhere from 225 to 50 B.C., but basically, the range is many years before Christ. Can I have an amen on that? Preserved. Now, the beautiful thing of the cave in the Dead Sea Scrolls is it's, there's no humidity. And these were preserved very, very well. And actually, there's exhibits where you can go see the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is proof of the living God. And what's really wild is the accuracy between what was found in these caves to what you're reading today is exactly the same. Put your calculation on how long ago that is. That this, that you hold in your hand, that very few people look at today, was cherished. Was cherished so much. that it was hidden in times of war so that their enemies would not get it. So when Babylon and Philistines, when all they came to attack the children of God, they hid them for us. Now, this isn't a very good picture, I realize. But this is a Jewish scribe. And they would have these long tables and they would put the papyrus or they would put the scroll and they would begin to write the word of God. This is how it took place for us, guys. I want you to realize how important this is. How did these manuscripts of God's Word get passed down? That's how they got passed down. By hand. Whoops. Here's what I want you to know about a scribe. The scribe was a person who was highly educated in the arts and writing that documented, documented by hand sacred writings, historical records, business and judicial writings. Much of what is known about ancient Egypt and Israel is due to the scribe's activities who documented the stories and the, the eyewitness accounts of history of their day. Now, so that you understand why this is accurate today, compared to what they found in 1947, here's what the scribe had to go through when they transcribed the word of God. They could only use clean animal skins, both to write on and to bind the manuscripts. So they couldn't use a pig. A pig is an unclean animal in, their, okay, in the Jewish law. Each column of writing could have no less than 48 and no more than 60 lines. 
The ink must be black and a special recipe. They must say each word aloud while they were writing. They had to, as a scribe, say the word as they wrote it. Remember what the guy just saw on the video talking about journaling? Okay, that's another message. Here's what I think is really cool. They must wipe the pen and wash their bodies before writing the most holy name of God, Yah. Every time they wrote it, they had to wash their hands and their body. Then they would write the word Yah and clean their bodies and they would continue to go. There must be a review within 30 days and if as many as three pages required corrections, the entire manuscript, the entire manuscript had to be redone. So you want to talk about tedious work. You talk about a Tom Preble detail-oriented gift. <laughs> Tom would have been a great scribe because of his attention to detail. And so would Gary Tower. Yes, Gary would be a great one because it would be perfect. Because it required it to be perfect. That's why the accuracy of what you hold in your hands is so valid. The letters, the words, and paragraphs had to be counted. And the document became invalid if two letters touched each other. The middle paragraph, word, and letter must correspond to those of the original document. The documents could be stored only in sacred places like synagogues. As no document containing God's word could be destroyed, they were stored or buried. Now, the scribes in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 8, 8 speaks of the scribes. It says, and talks about the pen of the scribes. In Esther 8, 9, it says, the king's scribes were called, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews. So when Mordecai gave his decree through the king of, of saving the Jewish people, it was recorded by the scribes. Just like the children of Israel were going to be slaughtered was given by decree. It would have been the scribe who would have written the decree of the king down. And so a scribe had a lot of authority. They were looked up highly because they were well-educated and because they were giving forth the word. And because a scribe could write, he could also keep financial records and he would also... Um, be used in that capacity many times. Some scribes gained authority even beyond that of simply copying documents because they were often considered wise by reason of their learning. The scribes of the New Testament, they were a special group, group among the Jewish leaders. They're different than the scribes of the Old Testament. The New Testament scribes, they were leaders whose primary duties were to study the law of Moses and to teach it to the people and even to help settle disputes involving questions of the law. And so one of the references in the New Testament is to Ezra, how Ezra was a ready scribe. And so the scribes are talked about in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and it's pretty neat. But Ezra received his titles because he had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach Israel the statues and the judgments of the God. And so 
That's just a little bit of history. You guys like that history? But what I want to ask us is why does this sit on our shelves? Why is this taken for granted? Why was, was preserved by God in that and that now becomes something that is not enjoyed? See, God today wants to form a new value in you concerning the Word of God. God wants you to be inspired by what He has done to preserve His Word. Because we've taken it for granted and we have treated it lightly. And so when I was studying and I was asking the Lord, God, you're going to have to inspire people. I can't. But our human nature is to take things for granted. And I have taken the word of God for granted. In the last several weeks, I've been repenting of God to God. I've been asking him to forgive me. That's why I asked you today to stand up when we read the word of God. So that we could honor it. If the President of the United States was to walk in here, dun, dun, da, dun, dun, da, dun, da, dun, da, dun, you guys would all stand up and all, even if you don't like him. <laughs> Every time the old British boys come to America, those British boys can get in a helicopter and make it look really good. And what do we do? We ooh and ah as a nation over those British boys, the, queen, the king's sons. Harry and what's his name? William. See, I don't even know their names. <laughs> can we stand up for the reading of the word of God? We could have the worship team go ahead and come on up. We're going to say this today. I don't know if I've articulated what's in my heart very well or not. But before we're going to get to a place where we allow the Word of God to correct us and to mature and to grow up and we're going to have to come to a realization that we have something very holy in our midst. In Psalms 119, may we say it with honor to the Lord. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your laws, righteous laws, excuse me. I have suffered much Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise from my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. 
The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. That was a prayer. And this prayer should be of ours. I have taken an oath, O God, and I've confirmed it. I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much, O Lord, but according to your word, accept, O Lord, the willing praise. And we're going to praise him right now with our mouth. This prayer was, Lord, teach me your laws. Teach me. Show me. It's going to, that, your word is going to be constantly on my heart. The homework that I gave you several weeks ago was Proverbs chapter 2. And I'm going to read that as we're standing, as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord. I'm just so thankful that he preserved his word for us, aren't you? In Proverbs chapter 2, this was your homework. You were to take it home, and several people have been praying this passage, asking the Lord to get it deep inside them. But in Proverbs 2, it says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in, is, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just, and he protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to you. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Thy word, O oh Lord, is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path. And, O oh God, we are thankful for your word. We do not worship it. We worship you, the living word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He, Jesus, is the living Word. He came and He fulfilled the very Word. And I pray today that you've been inspired to make the Word your lamp, to make it your light, to make it what corrects you, to make it what guides your life. For the young ones, when the Word of God says to dress in modesty, that you allow the Word of God to be what then makes you say, okay, God, what is modesty in my day? How do you want me to dress modesty, modestly, Lord? When the Word of God, I'm wanting it to be a lamp to my path and a, a lamp to my feet, and it says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That we're saying, oh God, what is unwholesome talk? 
that you don't want to come out of my mouth. Some of what people are putting on Twitter and Facebook, the words they say, I am appalled at. But when the Word of God is not your lamp and all you have is darkness, you say some pretty crazy things, don't we? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, as we worship you right now in song, Father, would you put this message deep inside of us as we repent, as we confess our sin, as we put you in your holy place. Yah, would you come? Yah, would you come and minister to us? Yah, would you convict our hearts? Yah, would you change us? Would you correct us today? I want to encourage you during worship, the altars will be open. Maybe you want to come and confess. Maybe you want to repent. If you come to the altar and kneel, we won't bother you. Our, our altar ministry team will be off here to my right, your left. And if you need someone to pray with you, you're feeling real convicted and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to do with what's going on inside of you. Maybe right now you're saying, man, I just need Christ. We'll lead you to the Lord. We'll help you. We'll pray with you.